New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. The exploding global crisis of climate chaos is without doubt disrupting the social, political, and economic structures of global culture. Humanity is poised on a threshold that could be described as a global dark night of the soul. This global crisis is not asking us to simply make things better or invent new ways of living. It's demanding that we surrender to a transformation so radical that we become a new variety of human species. Today we'll be exploring an effective path forward as we take on the challenge of a new humanity to emerge from these turbulent times with our guest today, Dr. Carolyn Baker. Dr. Carolyn Baker was a psychotherapist in private practice and a college professor of psychology and history. Now, through her webinars, podcasts, live workshops, books, and articles, as well as one-on-one life coaching, Carolyn is touching the lives of thousands to assist them in deeply adapting and becoming resilient in the face of the unprecedented changes confronting humanity. She works closely with Andrew Harvey for the Institute for Sacred Activism. She's the author of Undaunted, Living Fiercely into Climate Meltdown in an Authoritarian World, and co-author with Andrew Harvey of Radical Regeneration, Sacred Activism and the Renewal of the World. Join us for the next hour as we explore sacred activism to help us find inspiration and take action in the face of the daunting challenges to our world. With our guest, Dr. Carolyn Baker. I'm speaking with Carolyn in her home by remote connection. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Carolyn, welcome today. Oh, thank you so much, Justine. It's wonderful to be here with you. It's grand that we can be together, even though it's virtual, uh, and but we can see one another through Zoom. And it's especially gratifying since you're in Santa Rosa, and I used to live in Santa Rosa. Santa Rosa is very dear to my heart. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. I, I love living here, and you're living in Boulder, Colorado, and that's also an equally wonderful place. Um, yes, it is. Well, let's talk about the sobering data, the multiple crises that we're facing, and maybe 
Maybe I want to start with, it's mentioned in your writings with Andrew, that the word catastrophe, you do an etymology of that word catastrophe, because that's where we are right now. I mean, you can see it vividly in Turkey and Syria right now with this terrible, terrible earthquake, and over 40,000 people have died, and the toll, it keeps going up. So, Tell us, the word catastrophe, what does it mean? Well, you know, I'm I'm sort of spinning off of my hero, Stephen Jenkinson, um, who's the author of Die Wise. He, he also has given this new etymology to the word catastrophe, and I'm, I really want to acknowledge him for that. He takes apart the word um, it's a Greek word originally, and he, he divides the syllables, kata and strophe. Kata, the context of that, the meaning of that, had to do with descent, with a going downward, with moving away from the normal and going into a dark place. The syllable strophe um, implies a kind of weaving together like a web or a net or a ladder. And putting those together implies the descent going downward together and not alone. So catastrophe, yes, we see it in Turkey uh, with the earthquake. Uh, I'm a graduate of Michigan State University, and this week there was a mass shooting at my alma mater, the very definition of catastrophe. But as we deal with these realities, we make the descent together. None of us can do this on our own. And I'll be saying more about that as we progress in the interview. Yes, great. I think of these disasters I mean, here in Santa Rosa, and I must say that we are recording this in mid-February of 2023, so it gives a context of where we are right now and what we're talking about right now. And in the context of these disasters that we feel, like as I was saying, in Santa Rosa, it was wildfires. Yes. That's a time when people come together to help one another. I mean, it's a natural outpouring, and it went beyond race. It went beyond uh, economic conditions of different neighbors and people. We just all come together in those moments. But this moment in global turbulence, uh, whatever you want to call it, it's more invisible in some ways. I mean, we see these isolated disasters, but put together we're not seeing the overall picture, and therefore, we're kind of living our lives in in isolation from one another. Is is that the the view that you have? Oh, absolutely. Um, people have not connected the dots that we are living in a collective descent. It's reminiscent of St. John of the Cross's description of the dark night of the soul and very reminiscent of Carl Jung's description of an individual and a collective descent into the depths of the psyche. Um, And what we're facing is not a series of problems to be solved, but a predicament that we can only respond to 
But people have not seen or, or let themselves register this overall predicament. Let's talk about that, the difference between problem and predicament. Right. So, um, you know, you have a problem, um, your garden, uh, you know, isn't producing the way you would like it to, you know, it's, it's kind of a problem. So you, you know, maybe you add some organic materials to it that, that make it really bloom and flourish. And then next year, you know, you go, well, I solved that problem. So this year I'm going to do the same thing and you do the same thing and it works. That's a problem that you can solve. A predicament, which we're now more increasingly calling a polycrisis, is a series of problems connected together in such a way that it's unsolvable. You can't solve a predicament, but you can respond to it. And that is what my work and Andrew's work is about. It's like, how do we respond to this predicament in a way that is going to bring forth um, the evolution of ourselves and of our entire species? One of the people that I did mention a moment ago was uh, Stephen Jenkinson. And my favorite quote by Stephen Jenkinson is, we live in a dangerous time. We can either see that as an affliction or as an assignment. So from my perspective, from Andrew's perspective, we are being faced now with a predicament which we're being asked to perceive it as an assignment an assignment for our evolution as a species doesn't mean that any of us are going to live through this predicament. Uh, Some will live longer than others. But what it means is that we find purpose and meaning in it so that we ourselves and the rest of the species can evolve. Well, I'm thinking that just takes me to the experience that I had, and I know that Andrew talks about his experience in the book of the Dalai Lama about living in the unknowing. As Westerners, you know, we're so rational, we're so dependent on our rational brain that we want to figure out the solutions and we want to go to solutions and we just don't want it's very difficult for us to hold not knowing how things are going to turn out yes absolutely um one of the things that i'm pretty sure you're going to ask me about and everybody asks me in in this kind of interview is what about hope um you know we we just we may not know but we have to hope And I would say, abandon all hope, as Dante said. We're very attached to the Western Christian definition of hope, which is that everything is going to turn out all right. And that's a very modern and frankly childish perspective. For this reason, we're addicted to happy endings and solutions for problems that can't be solved. We tell ourselves that everything has to turn out right, when in fact, what matters in this crisis is not how it turns out, but how we turn up. 
And we talk about mystical hope in radical regeneration, which does not focus on positive outcomes or even a positive feeling. Countless humans have been hopeful in horrific situations, even as they were feeling miserable. One is reminded of Viktor Frankl in Auschwitz and Nelson Mandela in, in a South African prison. And in these situations or in any other, mystical hope is the capacity to find meaning and purpose, however small or seemingly insignificant in one's experience. In other words, mystical hope is inextricably connected with one's inner world and not external outcome. Mystical hope is a commitment to meeting life as an assignment to be completed rather than obstacle to be removed. So authentic hope is willingly active and steps up to life's challenges as assignments and initiations into the sacred mysteries of human existence. Living from this perspective enables us to deploy active hope and make meaning in almost any situation. And in fact, in facing this crisis, we all need to become sacred activists and do what we're called to do because it's the right thing to do, as the Dalai Lama told you. And that's far more important than the outcome. Yes. I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Dr. Carolyn Baker, and she is co-author with Andrew Harvey of Radical Regeneration, Sacred Activism, and the Renewal of the World. And if you want to know more about her work, you can go to her website, carolynbaker.net. And she spells her name, Carolyn, C-A-R-O-L-Y-N, carolynbaker.net. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Dr. Carolyn Baker, and she is the author of Undaunted, Living Fiercely into Climate Meltdown in an Authoritarian World, and also co-author with Andrew Harvey of Radical Regeneration, Sacred Activism, and the Renewal of the World. And we were just talking about perseverance and letting go of both optimism and pessimism and living in a new kind of way. And I'm, I'm reminded, Carolyn, of the biological metaphor of the caterpillar turning into a butterfly. So it seems to me right now we're right in that place of when the 
caterpillar goes into the cocoon and it actually liquefies. Yes. You mentioned earlier the initiative and what what we're doing right now is liquefying is our assignment, I think, and descending down collectively together. I know that you and Andrew talk about um, a collective rite of passage or initiation. So is do we need a new kind of initiation now in these times? Well, we're getting it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're in, oh, we're, we don't we're even know it. it, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, initiation or rite of passage is an archetype of humanity and not just an indigenous practice. Um, something in us is wired for a rite of passage. Jung said that it was an archetype of the human soul, that it is an archetype. And the fact that very few humans are now able to experience a literal rite of passage that brings us to full spiritual and psychological maturity is one reason for the mess we've created. Um, we believe, Andrew and I, that the earth, which is a tribe larger than the human tribe, is initiating us through this crisis. And it is like the caterpillar being liquefied in the cocoon in these chaotic times. And so, again, back to Jenkinson's idea of what is my assignment, Um it is if we are the young person who's been taken out into the wilderness by the elders and confronted with an ordeal. And the ordeal is, is an integral part of initiation. It's a necessary part of the rite of passage. And through that ordeal and the preparation that the young person has received for that experience, they are compelled to reach down inside themselves and find resources and find their true core of divinity and deepest humanity to allow them to uh, persevere through the ordeal and become a new kind of human being. And so this is what I believe we are experiencing right now. The tragedy for us is that we've had no preparation for this. Nobody has talked to us about rites of passage and how something in us is wired for that. Uh, and so it's, it's as if the earth is giving it to us and saying, okay, here's your ordeal. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? Not about it but with it. Well, I, I think the recent pandemic where we all had to go into shelter in place and and it was worldwide was yeah. a revelation of just what you're talking about, about nature itself mm -hmm. is just saying, hey, wake up here. Yeah, and um, that I think is going to happen more and more as the um, 
permafrost in the Arctic and the Antarctic continue to melt, they're releasing a lot of organisms that are harmful to us. And we can expect to see more pandemics. Right now, we're in an epidemic of violence in this country. Uh, Andrew and I were talking about it yesterday, that, um, you know, every time I go out of the house now, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about, okay, how can I be safe if I'm going to Costco, if I'm going to the grocery store? Um, how can I, you know, get out of there as quickly as I can, get what I need to get? Um, and there's a kind of new level of vigilance that we are all feeling around it. Um, and we hear about it constantly. We have had more shootings by now in 2023 than we have days of the year. And, and so it's very wearing upon us. Even a person who kind of boycotts the news, there's still in the collective unconscious a sense that this is happening. And it's very wearing. It's very tiring. It's wearing W-E-A-R-I-N-G, and it's wearing us down, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, in many, many ways. So all of that, all of these, you know, this is the poly crisis, all of these different crises coming together, producing something larger than any one of them could ever produce. I want to just go back for a moment because I'm I'm recalling a time in my life when going back to pessimism and optimism. Mm -hmm. And I participated in a five-year group that we met twice a year at the Fetzer Institute in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And um, it was with leaders all from all over the world, including Meg Wheatley was one. And Many, many elders, and it was led by a couple of people, Avon Madison and uh, Willis Harmon. Both of them have passed on. And I remember Willis um, giving us the assignment for each of us to go and look at how we view the future and to, to put out our scenario for the future. And I remember mine was really positive, and I was just refusing to go into any sort of negative outcome of the future. And as we came back together, it it was like an initiation for me because so many people who were with us in that circle looked more completely and with undaunting, as you would say, or uh, without illusion at the future scenario. And it was the first time I ever took in the possibility that we are going to be facing with the kinds of crisis that we are facing right now today. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering about how helpful is that to us to look at it without illusion and and to keep doing what is right and good, as we were saying. 
Well, that is exactly what our book Radical Regeneration is about, is looking at this very clearly. The last thing we need right now are people who claim to be walking a spiritual path, running around saying that this too shall pass and all of this suffering is temporary and is going to lead to some glorious transformation of human consciousness. Certainly there's potential for transformation, but the suffering may go on for a very long time. It may wipe out most of the human species, and we don't know the final outcome. We can only work to rebirth our divine humanity as we look at the dark night squarely in the face without trying to ohm and schmoam our way out of it. Um, Because it really does have the potential for transformating transforming us for transformation and and renewal of of ourselves and of our planet what about uh, physics quantum physics is showing us that there is a field that's available to us is there anything to that and can we rely on something bigger than us in the, this sort of field not sort of this creative force that's available to us in some way well absolutely and we talk about this in radical regeneration the quantum field is one of infinite possibility um and i i highly recommend um the quantum revolution by author paul levy i don't know if you've had him on the show we have had him on the show yes okay um yeah the quantum revolution that he wrote a few years ago is a fantastic book about this um and andrew and i believe that both versions the one that talks about the complete destruction and extinction of all checks and balances in culture systematically undermined and destroyed, um, as well as the beauty and the transformation and the rebirth, that, that all of those are possible. That everything depends on how deeply we intend and attend and prepare for and dare to enact um, a new way of being. So to claim that anyone knows or could know the outcome for certain is absurd. And you have, I believe, Justine, a, a beautiful definition of God that includes the quantum field. I'd love I'd love to hear you talk about that. Oh, oh, I thank you for bringing that up. It's something I've been working with uh practically a lifetime. I've always had a spiritual enthusiasm and I've been looking for the largest uh definition of God or truth that I can find and so for the moment this is my definition of God. God is the quantum field of infinite, attractive, reciprocal, primordial intelligence, a numinous, some might call divine, responsive and dynamic co-creative force of energy in which all life is embedded, including us, a force that exists within everything, enlivens everything, and from which everything is made manifest. So, that is so beautiful. <laughs> thank you. Uh, I it just for me it's it's 
having something to co-create with uh, that's larger than myself and that's reciprocal and that is embedded everywhere. And that's where I, I got this uh, idea from um, the quote from the physicist Max Planck, who said, you can't get behind consciousness. You know, consciousness is fundamental, more than material reality. And that just blew my socks off when I read that. So yeah. Uh, yeah. is that something that you also adhere to? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's why I said it's beautiful. I really, really resonate with it. Yes. And this is a field of infinite possibility. Yes. Let's talk about that infinite possibility in just one moment. I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Dr. Carolyn Baker. She is co-author with Andrew Harvey of Radical Regeneration, Sacred Activism, and the Renewal of the World. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Carolyn Baker, and we're talking about infinite possibility. And in these dire times, that's a wonderful idea. So please elaborate. Well, you know, um, so many people who do not turn away from our global predicament uh, have opinions and we all have opinions, just like we all have noses. Um, but a lot of people, um, you know, uh, who do not turn away and are really willing to look at the crisis. Um, some say, absolutely, unequivocally, we are going extinct. All species are going extinct. There will be no life on this earth in 20 years or whatever their timeline is. And then there are the folks on the other side, as we know, and we've talked about who, who, you know, absolutely insist that there are solutions to these problems. And, you know, if we just have more COP conferences and more nations commit to do this and do that. Um, and here's the place that Andrew and I are coming from. And I, I'm certainly coming from in my work as a student of Carl Jung is that place of uncertainty in which we hold the tension of the opposites. We don't say, absolutely, you know, as Meg Wheatley in that quote says, you know, we don't say, oh, it's all going to be wonderful, or it's all, you know, absolutely um, catastrophic in the worst sense of the word. What we have to do, and this is really hard for Americans because this is not who we are as Americans. Our indigenous relatives all over the planet are much more used to holding the tension of the opposites, holding on the one hand these horrible problems 
that confront us that are getting worse every day. And the purpose and the meaning that we find in these problems and the joy that we find paradoxically as we grieve these losses. So that is a spiritual practice that I write about, that I assist people in using for themselves so that we are not walking around in this place of optimist, pessimist, optimist, pessimist, as Meg Wheatley writes about, but rather we're holding the larger, the largest possible picture. You know, uh, Carolyn, I, this reminds me of a, a phrase that I picked up in the book that you and Andrew have put together, Radical Regeneration, uh, is the idea we're in a planetary hospice yes. situation. Yes. So help help us understand what you mean by by that. Right. So, you know, so many things are dying. So much of the planet is dying. We had, what, uh, more than 30,000 people killed in this most recent earthquake in the Middle East. Um, we have mass shootings every day. So there's this huge theme of death that is all around us. Um, and not only literal death, but psychological and spiritual death. And so there are some things that need to die. And we can't be the judge of what should and what shouldn't die. But the reality is a lot of things and a lot of people are dying. And so we work to be present as hospice workers alongside this death, as well as confronting our own death, as well as realizing our own um limitations and finitude and and alongside the death is new life being born in many ways alongside the grief that we are feeling if we fully allow it really allow ourselves to feel it we're also going to experience joy I'm pretty sure that you've had on your show Francis Weller, mm. who's kind of your neighbor. That's right. <laughs> and um, I consider him the grief sage of all time. And he talks about the joy that we experience when we allow ourselves to fully feel the grief. So in that sense, we're not hospice workers. We're also midwives which we talk about in the book. We're death doulas on one hand, and we're midwives to accompany the birth of new people and new things at this time. And that's holding the attention of the opposites. Well, that just takes me. I have to pick up this book of poetry. Okay. okay. I just, all right. Uh, that some some time ago I did an interview uh, with a, a good friend, actually, and she has written this very small book of poetry. 
And there is one particular poem that I think is really applicable at this time, and she calls it Feeling Him Close, and I'm going to read it. Sure. And she says, she writes, Death slouched outside my window last night, leaning against the wall, acting as if he had all the time in the world. All night I felt him there as I floated at the top layer of sleep with my hand on my beloved's broad chest. I wasn't afraid that he was coming for us. I knew that he just wanted me to feel him close. Some of the people he visits, he walks right in and sits at the supper table so they can smell his breath real close up. Last night, death loitered by my house, but he didn't come in and I was glad. He wouldn't be getting in bed with us just yet. Somehow I knew that much. My friend thought she knew that too. And then one day he showed up in a scan of her body all of a sudden. Now she doesn't seem to mind that he drapes himself on her sofa or that he likes to stroke her hair. She made friends with him right away. And though they are an odd couple, her looking so healthy and all, we are getting used to their relationship. She is actually glowing, and the more he hangs around, the more we can accept his good points, like one of those handsome bad boys with a heart of gold, the ones that take you in a fast car to places you never thought you'd go. He might decide he wants to take her away, which would break our hearts. But she smiles and tells us that it's only a matter of time. He will take us all. Death, the feeling us close. And that that just uh, reminds me of the 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 hospice that that you're talking about. The, the being if if any of us have ever done any caretaking of someone who is dying, uh, we know that precious, precious energy field that we enter as yes. someone transitions yes so it's holding the grief is in that poem holding the grief it's going to take her away but holding also the joy the stroking of the hair making yes. friends uh there's a there's that again that paradox holding the both end yes absolutely absolutely so um i would like to also talk about a little bit about that which some people are putting their hopes on, and that's AI, artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I know that uh, it was really great in in what you've written and what you and Andrew have written. You talk about, uh, you quote someone named Shoshona Zuboff, mm -hmm. who, who have said, we're actually living in a an invisible concentration camp. Oh, wow. That just like, what? What? What does she mean? I mean, that that here with all the algorithms that we're subjected to and that, that really count non-organic life as, as the essential thing, uh, it causes us to be imprisoned in some way. Any comments on that? Yeah, Shoshana Zuboff has written this spectacular book called The Age of Surveillance Capitalism. 
And uh, long story short, she considers AI to be a kind of invisible concentration camp. Um, she she talks about um, well, I believe it's I believe it's either her or or uh, Harari, the great author Jonathan Harari. I'm not saying the name correctly. Um, who speaks about a bloodless coup that is taking place with our minds right now, that in a way data has become a religion. And, you know, for those people who hold out that AI is going to be some kind of savior in in the climate chaos that we're facing, um, you know, it... <laughs> It could be helpful as far as really, really taking the problem away. Um, I don't buy that for, for one minute. But just as it could be helpful in some ways, it could also be uh, catastrophic. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it could also be um, in the hands of the authoritarian wave that is happening now in the world. Um, it could be, it could be a very, very disastrous thing. One of the terrifying realities of our time is that millions of people in the United States and around the world would be perfectly happy to embrace fascism. Often they don't even know how to define the word, but for them, fascism means that some guy, usually a white guy, will make all the decisions for them and protect them from the other from the other race or the other gender or the other gender identity or the poor or whatever feels threatening. And right now, the United States is hanging by its fingernails off the cliff of democracy. And it's going to take very little for us to fall off the cliff. So uh, I am not a fan of AI generally, and certainly not as we are being confronted with these enormous, truly existential issues. Yes, yes, I I understand that, and I understand the need uh, because I can remember in my life of wanting somebody to say, "Oh, this is the way, the truth, and the light," and so yeah. all you need to do is just do this, and we'll protect you. And I can remember living in that way. And now I'm, I hope my eyes are open and, and I realize that there's something more. And I'd like to, in this next segment, to talk about the rigorous spiritual practices of sacred activism and find out your thoughts on that. I'm here with Dr. Carolyn Baker and she, along with Andrew Harvey, are the co-authors of Radical Regeneration. And her website is carolynbaker.net to find out more about her work. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions.
I'm here with Dr. Carolyn Baker, and we're talking about <laughs> lots of things about the daunting times that we're living in right now. And in fact, one of her books is Undaunted, Living Fiercely into Climate Meltdown in an Authoritarian World, and also co-author with Andrew Harvey of Radical Regeneration, Sacred Activism, and the Renewal of the World. And she, um, along with Andrew, they, they work at the Institute for Sacred Activism. And so let's talk about that. What is sacred activism and how can it be of help in these dire times? Sacred activism is quite simply the marriage of activism and spirituality. If the activist is not tempered with a spiritual sense or sensibility um, and is not doing inner work on himself or herself, um, it's quite likely that they're going to burn out because it's as if the fires of activism uh, can burn one up. Conversely, if a person who has a spiritual path is not uh, connected with some kind of activism, then he or she can just become very naive and withdrawn and disengaged from the earth and from others, all the while thinking that they're very engaged, perhaps. So bringing together spirituality and activism uh, helps to temper the activist, but also inspire him or her uh, in the directions that uh, go deeper than just the cause that he or she is fighting for. And so uh, the Institute for Sacred Activism, Andrew's work, my work, we incorporate in all of our work spiritual practices that help us not only take care of ourselves, but to be um, more dynamic and more empowered as we do our work in the world and for the world. I would love for you to help us understand the the word divine. It's a little bit hard to understand, and I know that that um, most most likely Andrew uses that that term a lot, the divine, and maybe you do too, Carolyn. So what does that mean to be a divine human being? Well, the word that I prefer is sacred. Um, you know, I was raised in uh, right-wing fundamentalist Christianity, and divine has always been synonymous with God somehow, um, you know, a Christian God. Um, sacred for me is a preferred word. Uh, the very first book that I wrote on the global crisis back in 2008 uh, was called Sacred Demise. And so sacred means for me, uh, set apart, dedicated, consecrated, holy, um, borderline religious terms, um, but really having to do with the ultimate meaning and purpose of our being. 
And and we bring that together into our lives with the day-to-day, with the material, uh, with the human obligations and relationships that we have. So in in sacredness is does it also encompass something like a reverence? Absolutely. Yes, indeed. Reverence and respect for the ultimate, for that which we can't fully explain or understand. I know that you also wrote a book about uh, our relationship with animals. I, I don't recall yeah. the name of it. Well, but- that's in Radical Regeneration. Remember, Radical Regeneration is a book of, it's a quartet of four books that Andrew and I wrote. The first one, Savage Grace. The second, Saving Animals from Ourselves. The third book that we wrote, Return to Joy. And then we wrote a separate book called Radical Regeneration. And all four of those books are in Radical Regeneration, Sacred Activism, and the Renewal of the World. And so if if you talk about the word joy, uh, how does that relate to sacred activism is is that a component of it here again is where we all are being challenged if we're serious about the global crisis and we want to do something to respond to it we have to readjust our thinking around these opposites or so-called opposites joy is the other side of grief joy is the other side of loss and pain and suffering Mary Oliver said, we shake with grief, we shake with joy. What a time these two have housed as they are in the same body. So the joy is is something that doesn't come that we necessarily seek for it. It happens in, in some of the most unexpected moments. It can happen in moments of profound unhappiness. One example is when a woman gives birth, there is suffering and pain and sorrow and anxiety and fear. And then when the child comes forth, there is unspeakable joy. And this can happen to people sometimes simultaneously. Viktor Frankl talked about being there in Auschwitz and in the midst of horrific suffering and having moments of joy. So did Nelson Mandela in his prison cell that he was in for 27 years. Right, right. What would you say about the need in these times to avoid isolating ourselves and the need to to reach out, to to connect with others, because we're coming off of uh, sheltering in place, and many of us are very used to, I'm having a hard time getting back out into the world myself. Right. What would you say about isolation? I would say that both are absolutely necessary. One of the things we discovered during the pandemic is, you know, the importance of solitude that we needed this time to pull back and regather and that that is um, inspiring and for many people energizing. We also need to be engaged. We need to be out there and certainly as 
as a person who wants to respond to this crisis, we don't just respond with spiritual practices, which radical regeneration is full of, which my book Undaunted is full of. But we need to be giving, giving, giving. And what Andrew says in his work on sacred activism is to follow the heartbreak. What is breaking your heart? Follow that. Let that call you into whatever service is right for you to be doing. Just follow the heartbreak. Well, I'm thinking in following the heartbreak, that's that's following what you love then. Yes, it won't break your heart unless you're yep. in love with it. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. Going back to the caterpillar uh, and what happens as it liquefies is that it starts uh, within that cocoon, the gathering of imaginal cells. Would you say that those of us who are committed to a rigorous spiritual practice and also taking that actively into the world with kindness and compassion are are we a collective kind of being part of that that imaginal cells that are collecting for, for together absolutely absolutely for myself i don't see any other purpose in my existence you know that is who I am and what I came here to do. That's what makes the difference is people, uh, many, many thousands and millions of people who are willing to do the spiritual work and also go out there and be sacred activists, bodhisattvas and spiritual warriors in the world. Yes. Yes. So, um, committing to that spiritual practice and, committing to a radical mutation of humankind, so to speak. And a commitment to becoming an elder. Mm. Now, you and I are of a certain age, um, and so that's how elder in this culture is defined. But an elder can be anyone. An elder does, is not synonymous with older. I've met many young people who are wise beyond their years and are truly elders in this world because they're doing the sacred work and the sacred activism at the same time. So cherishing wisdom above intellect. You know, wisdom is only gained through suffering and deep work on oneself. And we have to be spiritually prepared to face tremendous fear and hopelessness. And we must not embrace bizarre conspiracy theories in an attempt to relieve the anguish of uncertainty in a culture that demands ironclad answers. We have to now concentrate all of our emotional and spiritual and political energies on doing all we can to feed, nourish, support, and expand the birth that is already here and that is continuing to happen. Oh, Carolyn, thank you so much for being with us today. What a profound uh, vision you've given us. I've been speaking with Dr. Carolyn Baker, and she's the co-author of Radical Regeneration, Sacred Activism, and the Renewal of the World. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening 
to New Dimensions. This is program number 3,782. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions. Thank you.